breaking the cycle to step forward. Authentic conversations from lived experience and a professional perspective in overcoming abuse with Chris Tuck and Beverly Ann. Hi everyone and welcome to Breaking the Cycle to Step Forward podcast with myself Chris Tuck and my co-host. Hello, I'm Beverly Ann. And we've got the lovely Yehudis Godsabal here today. And I think I've just said her name wrong after just practicing it. Never mind. (laughs) You got the key bit right. My name is Yehudis. Brilliant. Okay. So welcome, young lady. It's been a long time. It has. I'll take the, you know, young lady bit as much as you're going to give it. So thank you. You're going to get it the whole podcast. Um, So we're just coming upon the sexual abuse and sexual violence awareness week and that is why we have all come out of the cold dark nights to produce this podcast for everybody so it'd be ready in time Yehudis can you just tell everybody our listeners who you are and why you come into the work that we're going to be discussing later on during the podcast please um who I am what a loaded question I (laughs) very (laughs) I am me I grew up in London um as part of a very tight-knit um ultra-orthodox Haredi community um it was a brilliant community we had everything at your fingertips a very old-fashioned style community that we always talk about um, you know, friendly neighbors in and out of each other's houses, family friends that did everything and help babysit or, you know, pick up kids, drop kids off and things like that. Um, very open door policy, um, just socializing, family friends. We grew up basically with each other's children, if that makes sense, almost like a big extended family. Um, so I was brought up there, went to community school and was exceptionally naive as children are um but that was I guess highlighted even more because of the community in which I was brought up that the naivety is extended shall we say for a much longer period of time than it would be elsewhere um we weren't taught about bodily autonomy we weren't taught about correct names for body parts um, we weren't taught about sex at all in any formal shape, like nothing. Um, I didn't know the word even. It it was more, it's the thing that married people do. You learn about relationships and the things you do when you are in a married relationship when you are getting married. So the time right. between engagement and marriage is the time when you learn about it. So it could be when you were 19, 20, 25, 28. That's when you would learn about um, sexual relationships how how to do it practically the mechanics yeah so until that point when you get married you're really naive um really ignorant by no fault of your own but mostly from the world around us that didn't give us that information yeah um and when I was I'm a bit hazy on exactly the first encounter shall we say um but this family friend was someone who I'd known since young childhood, I'd say probably five or six years old. So it was already like a familiar adult in my life and a friend of my parents. Um, And he essentially, okay, it's hindsight's a wonderful thing, but he groomed my parents, my family, 
family, friends, and ultimately me, um, and sexually abused me. Mm. The first incident I remember, I think I was about 12, um, and it was as much as a touch. Um, and I would say that was sexual abuse because in the world that I come from, you do not touch. You're not allowed to touch, are you? At no. all. It's very segregated. You pretty much don't even touch your cousins, male cousins, like female male, like you don't. Um, uncles and aunts, you don't. It's just, you know, your dad. Sometimes some families don't even do it within siblings. So like once you hit 12 and 13 in our community, girls at 12, boys at 13, you're considered an adult. Wow. So that is the process in which you take on ownership for your religious life and your sins, shall we say, and your merits. So it's when you become an adult within the Jewish world and you go through a bar mitzvah as a boy or a bat mitzvah as a girl, and you basically agree to take it on as your own self. So your parents don't hold responsibility for your Jewish practices or your the way you behave. Um, and so that is quite a big issue, which is why I flag it in terms of, do we really consider children at 12 and 13 to be adults? Yeah. Um, it comes as adults with the segregation. So it's very, very segregated. Um, in my community, it was even younger than those ages. Um, but can a 12 year old actually you know, justifiably say no or stop an adult from doing things that they want to do? No. Yeah. Um, but when I disclosed my experiences as an adult, some rabbinical leads told me that I was considered an adult. So it's... in their eyes, an adult means consent? Yes. Mm. Um, it means, wow. they I mean, they don't use the word consent yet. No. Modern phenomenon. Yeah. Um, but yes, it was more you, they would approach it through the lens of two adults having inappropriate relationships because he was married. Oh, you're kidding me. No. Okay. Okay. Can, can I interject here? Because, yeah. you know, you know, the, just thank you for sharing that you know, on all different aspects, because it's so important. And I, there's just a couple of things that, you know, I want to ask. And also, it's as if like I can hear the listeners saying, what What, what so, does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. So, so first of all, I just want to put back in context, because Chris and I are always talking about as children, being able to ask a child, you know, instead of telling them what to do. And here we are, we have you being brought up in a community and quite, you know, quite rightly, you know, allowing you to live your life um, is the best way. And some people would say about not speaking about um, consent and that with a, not consent, but not saying to give choice to children, because mm. at the end of the day, we want them to stay young. We don't want to sexualize them. So you're really highlighting that, you know, when you're not sexualized, you know, you're living your life truly um, innocent of anything else that goes around you. And then suddenly, when you're 12, you're considered to be an adult and expected to, to know what to do. And the bit that really got me was, yes, you're taking on your religion as an adult, but the sins. Yes. 
There's a so, big emphasis on that. Yeah, and I that was the bit that caught me. I was like, whoa, hold on a minute. So you've not been given any awareness and then suddenly it's considered your sins and you're 12. So we know nothing about it. No, and we won't know at 12 either about sex at all. We just are brought up though with segregation from a very young age. So um, it now is gonna sound quite depressing, but I promise you there's really lovely parts of my religion as well and the culture and the practices we do. Yeah. But with any religion, the more, how should I say, isolated, the more you close off the culture and the community from anything external, the more you become self-governed. And oftentimes what we see is that those at the top of this food chain or the leadership chain chain are men. So it's, it becomes... I guess what we would like to call in society, you know, here's the sexism and the misogyny and the patriarchy, but magnify that within a community where the priorities, the boundaries, everything is created by men in a top-down way. So I think when you are becoming, let's say, 12 or 13, you don't even grasp the fact that, oh, here's me taking on you know, all of my sins and my religious practice because you're already starting to know that from when you're really young. Um, We're taught very much, you know, here's wrong and right. Um, Here's all the sins that you could do in relationship to anything. So your food intake, we don't mix certain things and that would be considered a sin if you would eat something you weren't meant to or in the wrong way. So it's actually... Sadly, from a very young age, you're very aware of sins mm-hmm. and what you shouldn't be doing. And with girls and boys, how you should and shouldn't be behaving. So yeah. it's almost like they've gone so extreme where they're now sexualizing children because you're a girl. Make sure you are fully covered from head to toe and your dress covers your collarbone and your socks are not socks. They're tights. You know, mm-hmm. I got penalized for wearing knee-high socks, even though my skirt covered the tops of the socks. Which, when you look at it through an adult lens, and especially through the work we do, you'd be like, well, why are we sexualizing young girls? Like, people shouldn't be looking at girls and thinking, well, your tights should be covering everything and your skirt should be of a length mm-hmm. where we don't even see the outline of your legs. So that was very much the culture. It was very much uniformed in how you walked what you dressed how you behaved so when you become 12 or 13 I don't think it's not taking on everything in such a full gravitas because you've already got the concept and Mm. the framework but it's just you become responsible now so if you choose to do eat something that you shouldn't have you know it's on your head okay and Mm. it would be tallied up when you come to meet God if you know in an afterlife that against you Whereas until that point, your parents supposedly carry that burden. Um, But you're not equipped with, oh, here's what you should know when you're 12 and suddenly you should be able to say no and you're, oh, empowered with consent because that still doesn't happen until you get married, until you get engaged to be married. So it's very much the ignorance is there until adulthood, I would say, or if you get married young. But because of that culture... 
and the way it is set up, that does allow then for predators to do what they want to do, doesn't it? I mean, that's because, the, yeah. Yeah. That's the question, isn't it, though? We always yeah. say, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Do we create cultures for offenders or are we always going to have sex offenders, but do we just have more because we create mm-hmm. these cultures? Uh, you know, I don't think we can ever fully answer those questions. No. I think we will always have sex offenders. hundred uh, percent. I think it's the level of sex offences that we have could be reduced. Yeah. Um, the level of repeat offenders that we have in our community, in my community, could be reduced if there were systems in place that as soon as there was a first allegation, mm-hmm. you know, things are nipped in the bud, so to speak. Yes. But they're, they're not. And that's, you know, another whole stage of issue in that by the time someone can disclose what they've been through, how many years later is it? Because they don't have the language until they're Absolutely. getting married. So oftentimes when I worked in the sector and did the work that I did, um, which I know I'm jumping ahead now to your next sort of question, a lot of the people that came to me to disclose their experiences, it was they only realized it after they'd got married and had tried to have relationships with their partners and struggled or had issues and couldn't you know, process things that happened to them in the past and why was it not mirroring or working with what they were doing now? And then they go for Mm counselling because they're unable to have sex with their partner now and it all comes out. Yes. Right. But there's no language until that point. Wow. Do you feel that the community that you grew up in will ever introduce the education and awareness that is needed for children and young people so that they have got the vocabulary so that they have got the awareness um to disclose maybe sooner or is that do you feel that that's never going to happen it's a really tough one um mm-hmm. there has been some i'd like to say forms of change since I've spoken up about it and pushed the conversation open in the community, um, my expectation and standards are clearly way above um, the line in which people in the community are happy to meet at. Shall yeah. we say? Yes. Yeah. They, you know, recently in the past few years implemented a program that someone in, I think she's from America or Israel, I can't remember exactly. She created a program for ultra-Orthodox schools. And so some of the leadership here in the UK brought the program over and started to put it into some of the Jewish schools and primary schools. But it's the stuff that we would have in society taught and discussed in like the 80s. It was, you know, um, say no, run away and tell somebody or it's a stranger or here's the shadow outline of a person who just looks so blurry. You can't make out, but they look really dark and evil. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Unlike that, we know most abusers are within the family. People, you know, environment, people, people. you know, you trust all all of that. We know very likable. Yes, very likable. Yeah. They weren't even, you know, it's very old stuff. It's stuff that we would have looked at now and been like, no, no, no. Like that was already 30 years ago and they're implementing it a few years ago. Um, and also, you know, you can't equip a child to say no and run away when you don't 
teach them what they're saying no to and you live yeah. in a culture where you have to respect elders yeah and so, this is always a challenge anyway isn't it let's be honest that's the challenge in the wide world but it's the challenge within cultures yeah 100%. because that's what keeps the silence isn't it as well because of the cultures and the traditions whether it be faith whether it be um where you how you live do you see what I mean and it really makes a, something that's really challenging even harder definitely do you feel that um the community that you've grown up in after you've disclosed have they supported you how was it received um <sighs> did they put their arms around you and say, okay, we accept what's happened to you and now we're going to do something about it. What actually happened in your case? Oh, this is um, horrible, but no, obviously there was no support. I say, obviously I'd love to meet people and I do love meeting people that are unconditionally supported, but um, from knowing you both for a number of years, I mean, we could probably count those people on like what, our hands collectively yeah. between us like um no I disclosed when I was just about to literally a few weeks off turning 21 and it was purely accidental I was on holiday and you know when you're away and this tv that's got like two English channels and <laughs> so we had one of them on and it was Oprah while we were getting dressed uh. to go out and Oprah had a girl on her couch I wasn't watching it, but we were hearing it while we were ironing our hair. And um, the girl had described um, essentially what we know now to be sexual abuse by a family friend. But she obviously didn't use those words. It was like, you know, and he would touch me and he would make me do this. And he was a friend. And when he'd come around like this and I'm listening and then Oprah turns to this girl and says, um, you do know this is sexual abuse and it's rape and it's illegal or something to those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just remember like a whole body going like out of body experience and going, what? And I don't like the rest of my evening and few days left on holiday was such a fuzzy haze. Yeah. After that. Um, I don't remember entirely what happened, but my friend that I was with said um, I was actually answering the TV back and saying, right. you know, no, it's not. Um and that's when I suddenly had the words to put to my experiences yeah. yes. that I knew felt wrong. I knew I didn't like, I didn't know how to place it or contextualize it. And suddenly there was language for what I'd experienced. And so I came home and told my parents and um, was offered therapy. So I started seeing a therapist. Um, and then that was it. We left it for a few years. And I was about, I think a few years later, I can't remember, 24, 25. And I'd gone to, I signed up for university, which is not something that was encouraged in my community or school at all. Mm -hmm. um, it's a bit, you know, mixing with other people, don't know what can open your eyes to and what you might uh, take on, so to speak. What you might probably learn. Probably to prevent exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, but I'd met some other um, Jewish students on the campus site who had mentioned that they were going to this person's house for a meal um, I can't remember it was one of the Jewish festivals maybe 
and that they were so hospitable and they had so much food and they had loads of students come around and straight away I knew who it was yeah and I said is it so and so and they were like yeah and I was like oh you might want to be careful around him he's a bit of a predator um yeah you know just go there's loads of people but stay at the other side of the room don't go near him I'd said this a few times and then it clearly got round to him that I was saying these things about him. So he called me up out of the blue and asked me to stop talking about him because I was ruining his life. Oh, poor man. <laughs> and so I said, you must be joking. You know, you no apology, no acknowledgement, just yep. what you're doing to me. Wow. And he tried to say that there's nothing to apologize for because it was a loving, meaningful relationship. Oh my goodness. And I said, at the time, I didn't remember the earliest memory. I said, I was like 13, 14, you cannot mm. be serious. And I mean, he was like probably going on 10, 12, 14 years older than me. So like- He knew, didn't he? Of course he knew. And mm -hmm. so he said, no, no, it was that, you know, I really care for you. And I'd been obviously in and out of therapy for several years yeah, and yeah. it wasn't washing. It wasn't it going was... to hook. It was like, but he was trying. Yeah. yeah. And I said, um, this is ludicrous. I'm not engaging with you. You owe me an apology. And um, he said, well, um, think about what you want me to do to make it go away. Wow. And what part do you want to go away? <laughs> as if you won't even acknowledge what you've done yeah that's the first step um anyway he messaged again the next day like what can he do to make it go away I'll pay for your therapy so I said I don't want to speak with him anymore yeah and he said oh he suggested a rabbi to put as an intermediary and I accepted I mean I didn't know what I know now that you know yeah then, yeah. And um, this rabbi, I said, basically, my ask was that he, the rabbi, host a meeting between like my parents, myself, him, his parents and his wife and the rabbi that, you know, at the time was a bit more involved. And he can apologize to me in front of all of those people mm -hmm. and take ownership of what he's done. And if they want him to go get further help, they probably should. But whatever, I'm not going to. Yeah. It's not my life like. And um, originally he'd agreed. I probably wow. got really excited, but it didn't happen. <laughs> well, so brave wow. of you to even consider that, Yehudis. So but that's what I wanted. I just wanted yeah. an acknowledgement, yeah, an acceptance, and an apology. Can you yeah. imagine how profound that moment would have been? Probably was the career of like my career, my life, like so much. Um, and it, it dragged on for months. It never happened. And I realized that he was playing the rabbi as well. And it was just, he says, well, you can't expect me to monitor him. And I was like, no, I don't expect anyone to monitor somebody unless they can monitor their own actions. And if he's so worried, he can, if you're worried, he can offend, you need to report him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, no, then I spent like months running around town, speaking to so many different rabbis, even some in America and Israel to say this is ridiculous as well when I say it out loud but this was the reality and it still is for everyone in my community um you needed permission from a rabbi to speak to the police didn't know that yeah so it's 
I'd like to say it's probably a hang up from the post Holocaust. There's yeah. very much this, the authorities are not there to protect us. Right. Okay. Um, that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you snitch, which is what it's labeled at, you know, on another Jew to secular authorities, you are responsible for what those authorities do to that person. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. So there's a lot, there's a lot at play here, isn't there? There's so a much. lot at play. It's um, very complex. Yes. There's, there's a lot of, um, so when I said about sins, this is what we're taught about from a yeah. very young age, you know, snitching on another Jew to, it's a thing that we've all known our whole life. Um, mm -hmm. Talking bad about another person is considered anything about them in a negative way is considered talking bad about them. That's another sin that goes on your head. Um, all of these things, oh, desecrating God's name. So, you know, publicly saying, you know, what Jews have done, that's not right. Or, you know, you're being, you're bringing God's name into a spotlight of negativity. That's also a sin on your head. So you've got all of these stacked against you. So you cannot yeah. go to the police if you don't have permission from rabbinical authority. Can wow. I, can I just ask something, Yehudis? You know, I'm hearing your story and what I'm hearing is, I mean, such strength and courage to be pursuing that. You know, the fact that you want to sit in front of him, you know, and get an apology in public. When it didn't happen, what impact did that have on you, though, personally? Um, it wasn't a negative impact. It's um, It was the process. This process was the process of me realising I didn't own any of that shit. Yeah. Sorry for my language. That's no, okay. that's fine. Until You're fine. that point, I mean, you you know what it's like. We've all heard about it, that we carry this, like, the shame and the what did I do? Did I yeah. look slightly wrong? Did I make them yeah. do this? Did I give them the wrong message? Did I hint at it even if I was a child? Because these are the messages we hear the whole time through society, yeah. you know, I grew up in a really, really highly focused, you know, community, but women and girls everywhere are told how to behave, how to sit, how to not bring it upon themselves. And you looked at him or you answered his message funny. So you brought it upon yourself. You know, we internalize that yeah. so mm -hmm. much. And I think for me, that process of him getting in touch to say, you know, I should do, tell him what to do. And then him not being able to do the only one thing I'd asked yes. began this like unraveling of, oh my God, you're so much weaker than I thought you were. And I don't own any of this because actually you did it all. Yeah. And yeah. I think that was the worst thing they did without realizing it was the most beneficial thing. They, as in my community, because the more of them in leadership positions that shut me down and didn't give me permission to go to the police. Um, you know, I had like a youth leader who has known me since I was born and has run all my youth projects said to me, are you sure you didn't do anything to make him do this to you? And I so looked at and I honestly, my jaw probably hit the table. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, this is more depressing than anything else that you could even heart like harness this idea mm. and say it yeah so
So yeah, for me, in a way, it became this process of like shedding that weight of responsibility of I wasn't an active participant in this. You were the adult. You chose to do this. I didn't have the parameters to say no or the choice to engage or whatever. Um, And then I went to the police without permission and I reported it. And mostly my incentive was because I didn't want to hold responsibility for him and his behavior because I knew that someone like that who didn't even want to apologize on a phone call to me, it wasn't like I was saying plaster it on the BBC news. (laughs) tells me more Which you did by the way didn't you eventually Many years later <laughs> <laughs> well done <laughs> but you know that was the journey of yeah you know here you go I I gave it to them and I said you do what you need to do to make everyone know what he's capable of stop him that I can't hold this responsibility to be the only one or the only few people that know what he's capable of and what he's doing um and that was really my motivation for going to the police not to say it was easy at all absolutely no, it doesn't sound easy does it bev no no and we know it's not easy anyway without the additional restraints that you have as well because of the upbringing within your community and that's why you know i can't thank you enough for sharing that you heard this because it's something that we all need to be aware of mm. I think that's the weirdest bit for me that I grew up in London yeah sounds like a million miles away right yeah it's like a world inside a world inside a world you know there needs to be more intervention there needs to be more oversight in my opinion I mean I'm all for religious practice but not when it infringes on human rights of children and young people or you know like basic body autonomy is every child's right. I'm not saying we need to package it up as, oh, here's your sex ed. Yeah. You know, I don't teach my children his sex ed. I talk to them about their body. Yeah. Say no if they don't want someone to touch them or they don't want to hug or actually I don't fancy a bedtime cuddle. Okay, that's fine. Yep. You know, and if something feels wrong, then it's wrong for them. Yeah. You know, and so, we try to switch it off though for children. I don't know. I mean, we we all grew up in this world where it's like we still had to hug that uncle or that aunt. You know, it sounds like it was quite a generational thing. Yeah, it's highly accentuated. And it still oh. is, to be honest. Sorry, Chris. That's it. But it still is. You know, and we all find ourselves doing it sometimes, even though I'm very aware. You know, I'd like to say that as a parent. I never said to my children, because I was resolute from you know a young age, not that I'll give someone a hug, give someone a kiss, but there are sometimes it's like you even do it to children yourself. Oh, give you know, give me a hug. And then it's like, no. I mean, I'm I'm one of those people, I always say adults, children now, like, would you like a hug? Don't hug mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Yes. You know, you do. And I don't take it personally if they don't, but it's funny how subliminally things happen 100 percent. and people when I had my first they were like oh you can't teach consent to a baby and I'm like well you might think you can't but I always said from when he was a baby oh can I change your nappy now I'm not saying he fully understood at all he didn't understand but it creates a habit 
for you as well as them that actually as they grow they know it's something that they can you know be asked about or you know oh, can I wipe you now as opposed to I'm going to do this now yeah. um, I know we're meant to be taking care of their physical needs but I've, I never had an incident where he was like no um, you know it was I guess a growing thing as we grow as parents and we you know adopt these things it's just a shame that people like us with our experiences do it and put all that effort in whereas I feel like everyone as parents should I think as well, because you had grown up with that, you were taught right from wrong, right from an early age, and you was taught all of that. Um, I want to say the word indoctrination, but it's probably the wrong word to, to use. Um, but you were brought up in a specific way. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to your children and you're asking those questions, you're not really asking them questions because you know you've got to change their nappy. Yes. You know you've got to clean them. But it's teaching them, isn't it, about consent without teaching them consent so I get I get where you're coming from on that um a deep question um how do you think the authorities the statutory agencies could have come into your closed community and made sure that your community were teaching body autonomy and things like that because you we're saying it's every child's human right and it is but when you've got communities and I'm not just saying your community there's loads of different communities when you've got a community that closes down like that you know they're very insular and they're very into themselves and they don't want outside intervention or interaction how can we get that education and awareness in I think it's multifaceted though, isn't it? You can't, 100%, you can't yeah. just focus on that one thing. I think no. Um, one of the problems in my um community is we we're gonna call them politely community gatekeepers. Yeah. Whereby local authority government agencies will default always go to the same representatives the ones that are self-appointed, not voted in, there's no election process, as they are community representatives. And I often wonder what it would be like if actually they just set up a table somewhere in the local community and said, hi, we're here. If anyone wants to drop a note in our box with a feedback or a thought, or they are just so, this the term they've coined is hard to reach communities. Yeah. I just, would that be allowed though what you just described would someone I be allowed they can't to go govern into... the streets right the community can't govern the streets of london no yeah 100 percent. do you see what i just think yeah. there's very little you know once they coined this term of hard to reach community yeah it was like well that's it we've got nothing else to do yeah actually you just need to make yourself accessible and every system process local authority family services you know the health visitors all of those things should be accessible to everyone yeah absolutely. it shouldn't be that you need to create niche systems on yeah. top of what exists to make it accessible mm -hmm. i shouldn't have had to create an organization no but support you did. and provides insight and information on the criminal justice system yeah when how many do we know exist mm, what they absolutely. should have done they should have made those systems that are 
qualified specialists have been in the roles for 30 odd years, they should have made those systems accessible for everybody. That, that's the power of even having these conversations. Yeah. Because by having these conversations, we raise awareness, we educate, and if it's one person, they pass that message on. Yeah. If those systems, services, processes, procedures were accessible mm -hmm. to you, would you have been able to get over this invisible barrier to speak to those services if they were accessible to you, knowing that you've got all of this judgment going on that you're not allowed to speak outside of your community? Just a question. If it was a helpline, if it was a okay. helpline or a therapy or a support yeah. group, hundred percent, percent, lovely, definitely, fabulous. I, I did reach out to some. Yep. When I first disclosed, um, and then I went for therapy, and then I was like, "Well, let me see what else is out there." But also, I mean, we always take like we tend to Google things like. You know, yeah. we were allowed, I was allowed access to internet as I grew up at some point, you know, measured internet, as they say. And um, at one point, I think it was uh, just after I've disclosed, you know, I was Googling to see what was available. Um, and I found some random forum in America that was for um, Haredi victims of mm -hmm. abuse. You know, I had to connect with people in America. Yeah, to find something. To find just camaraderie you know you know what it's like when yeah. you meet people yeah. in a support group setting and so I try to google and access services here I was turned away from a couple because I was too niche of my requirements um I try to access help from Jewish women's aid and they didn't offer help for sexual violence okay it was only for domestic violence and that right. is something that is something that happens in the community anyway you know, and I, I, I want to be careful here because I don't want to alienate anyone. But I remember when I first started a peer-to-peer -peer support group mm. back in Seven Oaks, Kent. And I remember going before I, I started, I wanted to make sure what was available first. You can't just, you know, in case there was someone else doing it and we could maybe collaborate. And um, I went to one of the said places that you go to for information and fantastic loads on domestic abuse but not not sexual abuse back then it may have changed when now. was that uh that was in 2017 when i started it so it was 2016 it wasn't Isn't that, that long crazy ago. so mine was very crazy yeah so this was mine was before even it was 2010 and then a few years before that. Um, so, you know, they didn't have it then. But to be fair, they didn't really have sexual violence support services at Jewish Women's Aid until 2019. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. You know, and it's just really how many organisations exist? How many service providers? We know the the sector is, you know, bogged down because there's a lot of people disclosing. But there's so many services as well. Mm -hmm. And I just wish there was a way to... Navigate. Make ones that exist accessible so it's easier for people that need to navigate but also yeah. it's easier for those that are working in the sector because 
everyone's then working in silos everyone's applying to the same funding pots everyone's paying overheads and management and the can you imagine how much energy and money and resources we yeah. could save if we harnessed what existed and made it accessible and best it could be and so on? I'm pretty sure so many of us who've created something would have opted for that. Absolutely. And I remember when I was first asking the questions, speaking to a group of counsellors to raise awareness and somebody actually, I'm glad she was honest enough to ask, but she said, are you sure we need a group like that round here in Seven Oaks? And I said, sadly, we need a group like this in every city, in every county and every country. It's worldwide. Yeah. And she wasn't, you know, I valued very much her honesty. She, you know, we created that safe space to open a conversation, but it just highlights, doesn't it? And we still get that today. Yeah. So you heard this. I want to move you on a little bit because we're running out of time, as always. Um, <laughs> how did you um, come around to Sexual Abuse and Sexual Violence Awareness Week, which you are the founder of? So how did that all happen? Um, so in 2010, I reported my experiences. I was then flooded with phone calls from other people in my community that had experienced sexual abuse not from the same offender but their own experiences I offered to um pay for a therapist so everyone could come together um and meet in like a group setting and the women um it was offered separately to women and men the women said yes and that's how the support group started a bit like you Bev like the benefit of those groups is the most powerful thing ever yeah and it sort of grew from there in terms of then I created the charity and through the creation of the charity, I obviously met other people within the sector, shall we say. And my case ended in 2013 and I then picked up a relationship of working with the police. And so I was working with a, um, the partnership team there and some of the officers that work in um, the SOA officers, the sexual violence roles. Um, I was working with um, people at the NSPCC, Survivors UK. And I can't remember where we met, Chris. It must have been in that period of time. It's got to be, yeah. Because we met, we started working together in 2016. So we must have met the year before at some event. Wasn't that to do up in London with the London Victims Commissioner? Was I it? I don't remember where I met you, Chris. Yeah, no, oh, okay. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> it was over those couple of years yeah. of meeting all these different organizations and different I want to say different aspects of it so you know like the NSPCC work with children and young people then I was yeah. also um, working with the Survivors Trust and yeah. they work with adults and then I was also working with Survivors UK who work with male victims and every time that came up in all this conversation was the amount of amazing resources everyone was creating and trying to launch it at their own time in some random part of a calendar year in the hope nothing else in terms of big news hits <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. And the amount of effort that goes into some of those campaigns was just phenomenal, but then they wouldn't get much reach. Mm -hmm. um, and Rape Crisis UK, I'm trying to remember who else was there in those that first few years. Yeah, yeah. And so essentially I said to everyone, Aside from the fact I couldn't get my head around that we had no sexual abuse or sexual violence related day in our calendar in the UK. Yeah. 
I mean, we had every other day I could find pancake day, pajama day, you know, this banana day. <laughs> There's so many things, but there was nothing yeah. to do with related to this at all. In America, they've got a whole month. Mm-hmm. And so I kept seeing the American stuff come up because I followed into all of that. It was like April's the month of all awareness. It is, yeah. And I thought, I just still can't believe we don't have one here. And then seeing all of these amazing campaigns and not getting traction, I was like, right, I'm bringing all of you into a room. We are going to have a meeting and we are going to create the UK Sexual Abuse and Sexual Violence Awareness Week. It was not such a mouthful at the time. I said, (laughs) we just need to create a week that we can all designate to this conversation because the resources need to be amplified. They need a bigger platform, but sharing it amongst ourselves and then hoping someone else will amplify it or retweet was not enough mm-hmm. um so yeah I pulled everyone together for a meeting with lots of promises of great biscuits and everyone showed up yeah and it wasn't easy thrashing nope. out initial conversations because obviously every organization has their own aims and values and ethos and well we think it should look like this and it should say this and it should say that to be inclusive of the male victims, the children, the adults, the women, you know, when you think of everything you want it to encompass, it was yeah. really tricky. Um, but nothing about biscuits couldn't help. And we finally did agree that it should say sexual abuse and sexual violence, because mm-hmm. some people identify with sexual yeah. abuse and some with sexual violence. And oftentimes, if you identify with one, you vastly really don't with the other. Um, and then it was trying to pick a week in the calendar um we opted for a week because um i was worried that if something happened on that one day that we had picked or allocated <laughs> it destroy everything it would get rid of the the day wouldn't it it would override yeah so um we went for a week and trying to find the right week in the calendar there wasn't much else that would overpower it um i think we all like the fact of like end of a long january a dark gloomy february where we can literally shine a light yes sexual abuse and sexual violence um and amplify each other's voices amplify victims and survivors the work people were doing campaigns the you know services and we find we set a date and we did it and i managed to wrangle i don't even remember how i did it i think it was one of the um it was one of the members of the uh, london assembly when I had a meeting with them, who so kindly said that we could host it at City Hall. Yeah. And so we did a launch event in 2016 in City Hall. We had um, screens with big quotes from victims and survivors of, you know, just such powerful quotes. And it was brilliant to see that. It was like on the screens of London behind it. And that elephant as well, the big elephant in the room. Do you remember that? I love it. Linda (laughs) brought that from the survivors. This giant inflatable elephant of City Hall. Brilliant. Yeah. And um, it was such um, a brilliant event. And we had such good speakers who, you know, honestly still think so fondly of because it just summed up the vibe and the, the motivation and everything. It was brilliant. Um, and that was it. Everyone got tweeting, posting about it. And it it's just grown year on year. It was brilliant when we did those events. Um, there was some we did in London, but I know there was some all over the country. Manchester, other cities had uh, lighting up town halls, lighting up the night, walking across bridges. Um, it was 
yeah, it's been brilliant. It's got really big now. Thank and you. That's yeah. We were talking about that before we started the recording, saying that um, we because in London there was a group of us all walking over the Millennium Bridge with the lights, etc., and the speeches afterwards very emotive. And then we went across London Bridge, didn't we? We did one year. Yes. Yeah. Before lockdown. I know. <laughs> and then lockdown came, and we haven't organised one since. But maybe next year. Yes. Um, but it was um it's the vibe wasn't it it was the energy that yeah. even after we left those walks it was freezing bitter i think one year was like minus 2 <laughs> and we got on the train and we were all still buzzing yeah. and like for days everyone was just like that was so good and what did we do like we didn't you know we didn't knock we anything walked. out we walked across <laughs> a bridge in minus yeah. two degrees yeah. and it was just there were so many people and everyone had come out from different perspectives it wasn't just like oh here's a bunch of victims and survivors it was actually here's a bunch of people that are saying it's not okay yeah absolutely 100%. and that was what was the beauty of it it wasn't just survivors it was also supporters as well who wanted so to come along and be a part of it which was fantastic. Yeah. City of London police showed up with extra support to join in. We had the Met Police there. We had so many agencies and support services there. It was, yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. So we haven't been able to have an in-person event because of COVID, etc. but it has grown yeah. and it has a life of its own now, doesn't it, yeah. online? And when I contacted you the other week and you was like, I just, well, actually I saw your post that you put up and you said, oh, I just can't believe that this is, you, you know, it's got its own voice now. It's got its own legs. Yes. Um, but I want everyone not to forget that you're the founder of that week. And I always share that because it's important because it's literally your lived experiences and your blood and your tears and your sweat that went into that. Um, and that should never be forgotten, even though you said it's never about me. It's never about one person. It's about highlighting the the calls. Yeah. And it still is. I think of it more as like, um, I think people like to say to me the whole time, well, you've created it. They're your babies. Mm -hmm. And actually, I feel like, yes, and I've grown these babies up and they're now off to university. They've got their own legs. You know, they're, they're doing it. It's working. I'm still connected to it and I always yeah. will be. But the biggest pride is that it's it's being able to run on its own yeah. and everyone that joins in you know up and down the country there's events going on I mean one year we had people from other countries joining in as well yeah we did yeah um <laughs> you know and that's brilliant it's a bit like yeah. anyone that wants to join the conversation is more than welcome to um I still get emails though saying are, are you okay if we do this with the logo are you okay if we do that do what you want i'm all yeah. for it it's a blank canvas yeah do what you want just put the hashtag so we all can join and retweet it and see what you're doing um and i think that's the biggest part of it isn't it it's linking it, it all is. with shared hashtags yeah. so that everyone can see all these amazing resources and posts and everything and what is the hashtag it's not okay <laughs> okay lovely and that's the at it's not okay 2024 20, on twitter it should be, yes. yeah yeah and are you the one that's still doing all of the admin around that running the twitter account or is someone else doing that for you with you no i am i am oh, i am you. a twitter account and the facebook yeah. 
and the Instagram now. But that's okay. partly it's probably goes days with quietness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm also on the end of the inbox, which becomes super excited and flooded this time. Um, <laughs> and I cannot respond. So everyone's getting out, you know, auto responses this year. Right. Um, but I mean, it was my bright idea to have an end of January baby and a February baby and the week <laughs> in between. So, um, <laughs> so you've got birthdays galore this time of yeah. year then. Yeah. So can, oh, bless. can we, can we clarify to the listeners who are not aware of it's not okay. <laughs> so, um, the, let's remind everybody of the date of the week that you have your hoses. Yeah. Do you want to? Just share with everybody for clarification. Yes, and as a way of remembering it for future years, it's always the first full week in February. So it doesn't matter when February starts, but it will be the Monday of the first full week. And this year that lands on the 5th of February. So it's from the 5th to the 11th of February, all over social media and off and in some areas. Fantastic. And this is not to say that we don't shine a light every single day on sexual abuse and sexual not. violence, because we do. So we we don't want anybody to get away with, oh, it's them again. No, it's no. not <laughs> us again, because we're knocking on the door every day. However, it's a week where we can really try and get yes. the hashtag trending and share all of everybody's work or their lived experience, whatever it is, however whatever. they want to turn up. Um, and it's to highlight other people's events as well. So, for example, there's a lady called Viv Gordon and she's yes. doing an event tomorrow, which is um, Wear Something Zebra. So it, apparently Many Zebras is a dazzle. So it's about becoming part of the dazzle family. Yeah. Um, so that's her event, which we've just highlighted. Um, but it'll probably be gone by the time this podcast comes out but she'll be running it every year and mm. I said to her then get all her feedback from the day and just share it during yeah. your week you know so it's fine we we can just keep resharing stuff that's the crux of the week though isn't it I yes, mean every it is. year we get a message or two or a dozen afterwards from people who are either working you know in the sector yeah isolated ways who are like, that was brilliant just to see what other people are doing. You know, it's yeah. like re-motivated people. Uh, after the week had messages of disclosures from some people who have said, I've never seen everyone speaking up so much about it. I don't feel so alone anymore. You know, yeah. there's just so much that is that positive that comes out of, you know, sharing awareness and signposting yeah. people. And also it's just people I've sometimes had this thing that well aren't you triggering people and you know what we haven't ever yet had I personally had an incident where someone has said I felt so triggered by the week in fact they've said I've been so triggered to speak out and yeah. to be connecting with other people I want to find a service that I can volunteer at and I think it's just more about opening that conversation that is normally so quiet and silenced and you know you're silenced when the abuse is happening you're silenced if you go to the police because you can't talk till the end of the criminal justice process you know there's so many opportunities in which you're more silenced than you are talking yeah. and I feel like this week is for us to all talk for those that can't necessarily yeah 
So yeah. I will still tweet and share and talk about it every year just to be that voice, the consistency yeah. of actually sexual abuse and sexual violence still happens. There are yeah. people still being harmed. There are things that we could do to make it better. And we all have that shared responsibility. So it's not only for those that work in the sector or with lived experiences to mm-hmm. eat or join the conversation. It's for everybody. everybody. Before Be- Beverly closes us down. Now I've got a question. I've okay, question. good. Then I've got another question after you. <laughs> but yes, we are coming to the end. So you, you're very good on time. Well, just want to go back to when you went to the police because... Mm. As usual, we've all come off track, but that's the wonderful thing about a conversation. So we'll just go back. Can I ask, did it actually go to court in your incidents or not? It did. Um, I think it was like a year and a half after I reported it. Um, there was a trial um, and it was a hung jury. Um, nobody prepared me for that. Um, I was told it was either going to be guilty or not guilty. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm standing in the supermarket and I get a phone call and they were like oh can you speak and I was like well even if I can't you're going to tell me what the outcome is now yeah and they said it was a hung jury and I remember thinking I'm sorry what no no one said that was an option what does that mean yeah mm-hmm. um, it was a hung jury and CPS wanted to retry in six months time so we I did I went back to court six months later um, I think they combined some of the charges and whatever to make it less strenuous on the jury. Um, and he was found guilty of, um, I think it was two charges out of a dozen-ish. I can't remember exactly. It would be somewhere on Google. Um, and the others was a hung jury. Um, the most that were the charges for the that were hung jury was rape-related, which yeah. we know mm. it's so hard to... Yeah get a conviction for in this country um and the couple that he was found guilty of were like sexual assault of someone under the age of 16 something like that don't quote me on the exact words but mm-hmm. the gist yeah so for me while it was disappointing that he wasn't found guilty on everything um his defense was that it was a consensual affair when i was 17 so for the jury to say they found him guilty for the sexual assaults of someone under the age of 16 yeah. was really validating. Yes. Um, so yeah, he was sentenced to three years in prison and served 18 months um, and has long been out and welcomed back into my community. And yeah. you have been welcomed or ostracized. How does it <laughs> sit at the moment with you? Um, I was getting backlash from as soon as people heard that I'd reported it to the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just, it spiralled from that. Um, so yeah, myself, I've been ostracised from my community um, and my family, a lot of them as well. Um, you know, we had some synagogue said my parents, my brothers and my dad couldn't go to pray. Super, a kosher supermarket didn't want to serve us. Wow. Um, it's very... Yeah. I mean, thankfully, at the time for me, I was only just about to start working in one of a community role and that job offer got rescinded quickly. But, um, you know, it's the more within the community you are, the more there is what to hold against you. Yeah. So if you're only able to disclose when you're married and you've got children, um, you know, it could impact your partner, 
your children in schools they'll be could be kicked out of schools and so on um I wasn't married um I was single at the time so they didn't really have much else to hold over me so I yeah like to say, um you know synagogue and things like that um but yeah we my community don't take I mean the Haredi community definitely don't take well to um shall we say people disclosing um sexual abuse sadly the worst bit for me is it's very much the same system so you know nothing positive in terms has come out of that there have been more cases and people have reported some more not in the levels that I would have expected or hoped or that we know exists and the outcomes of some of those trials have not been great which I think is a reflection more on the system and everything else but um yeah my my community don't take well as a whole the Jewish community to like whistleblowers which is very much what I've been categorized as um if not for talking to the police but also for um talking to the inquiry um yeah. a couple of years ago um that fairly cemented it yeah how how do you now reconcile you your religion your family everything that you brought were brought up with how does that all sit with your life now what what do you do or don't do I do a lot but I also okay. don't do a lot um okay. I feel like you know how you could give a set of instructions to people like let's just give a really basic Ikea you've got a piece of Ikea furniture and you can give that same box to six different people and get six different outcomes because <laughs> yes. some people struggle with those instructions and some people will end up with a few screws left over and yep. some a few less and you know uh, maybe a couple will have it fully intact with everything yeah i feel like that is religion you know it's a set of instructions but mm-hmm. we can all build it in whatever way you know it's a framework of yes end up with the dresser being fully built at the end with a few screws not there but you've still got the dresser yeah um I just think it's some people interpret things in religious books and bible and the torah and whatever other religions I've seen do the same I feel like people interpret it to say what they want it to say Mm mm-hmm and will often ignore the things that they are not interested in. I don't believe at the crux of any religion, it promotes harming people or sexual violence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think, yes, I'm still a practicing Jew and I'm a proud practicing Jew. Mm -hmm. I don't practice how I was brought up. Yeah. Um, But I still do a lot of your traditional stuff yeah 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 and practice yeah. um i'm glad you've not lost hard. that though Yehudis, because a lot of people religious people that i know if they've been abused within their religion or the religion's covered it up or it's not protected them then they lose that faith and then they lose their identity they lose themselves yeah not everybody but, but i wasn't people. gonna give them that to no. win also no. I, th- I really do believe that it comes down to how people interpret it. You know, there are people in my community who would interpret, you know, 12 year old girl being an adult and able to consent uh, or not. No. You know, it doesn't wash with me, you know, mm-hmm. no. Um, so I think 
there needs to be a balance and yeah I think the more extreme you know a culture goes in religious practice and adopting it and so on you know it you'll end up down that path yeah just think it needs oversight and yeah you know there's the laws of the land we all live in the same country there are laws in this country and they should be respected irrelevant of what religion you choose to practice or not um, 100%. I think if that's the lowest bar that's the lowest yeah. bar we should all be meeting yeah absolutely and that's a really good time to wrap up because we have actually overrun I let it go if we have overrun just listening just thinking about our listeners we're like well over an hour now oh can I just do one more question because we probably won't have you who on again unless she wants to come back on I could come back I, on another time, but go on, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I just want to know, what are you doing now and what does your future look like? Gosh, that, just to finish on a positive. That's a long one. That's a oh, loaded I, question. I know, but I'm sure she can wrap it up quickly, Bev, just for you. I am finishing my master's um, in understanding domestic violence and sexual abuse. I... Fabulous do some like consultancy training um about sexual violence um my Haredi community that I grew up in um so I do like also lecturing sessions in different unis things like that um I also have a day job um that I started recently in December um as a policy officer not related to Vogue um yet or sexual violence um and what do I see in my future? I'm also a mum of three little ones, so I'm quite busy yeah, as well. Very so busy. There's enough there to, to keep me there on. There is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I don't know what I would see in my future. Prime um, Minister? Oh, good God, no. No, no, no. I mean, the Prime Minister doesn't make enough change on yeah. the ground. I, I mm -hmm. want to see... I would, I think I would like to get back into the sexual violence sector world, um, but more from a policy right. changing way. Um, yeah. Our laws and legislations could be so much better with regards to child protection and mm -hmm. abuse and, you know, I mean, are we the only Western world without mandatory reporting? It is mind boggling in 2024, but that's a whole another subject. Um, it is. So yeah, I would love to be able to get involved more in informing and creating policies that prevent further sexual abuse from happening. Um, that's the dream anyway. Okay, Fantastic. and I'm sure you'll make it happen. Right, I'm getting my, my knuckles wrapped now. Off you go, <laughs> Beverly. Now, I'd just like to say thank you, Yehudis, to come in here and sharing all of that. Um, if anyone watching or listening, we will be putting some links underneath. Um, but please contact us, email breaking the cycle two step forward at gmail.com. If you've got any questions for you, Yehudis, you know, please email us and we'll get a response back as well. And remember to hashtag it's not okay during the week beginning Monday the 5th of February 2024 because we'll all be very active in there so we'd really appreciate all of your support as well and we get that hashtag really moving so Yehudis anything you'd like to finish on right now your last thought 
No, it's been so lovely talking to you both. Um, so thank you for the invitation. And I look forward to seeing all of the stuff we're going to be sharing during the week. Yay. Fantastic. Yeah. And Chris, do you want to finish off today? Don't you think I've said enough? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah, just get behind the week, really, and just start sharing um, the awareness that we've all got within us. Just share it far and wide. That's it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Thank and you. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.